Hello, and welcome to Measuring Violence. I'm your host, Elle Rochford, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Delaware's Center for the Study and Prevention of Gender-Based Violence. And today, uh, we are going to do a little bit of a, a clip show. In November, I went to the National Women's Studies Association Conference. So I'll share with you some of the things I learned there, what makes that conference so exciting. It is coming up again. Uh, we also at the center have been prepping for a number of different conferences, so I'll uh, explain a little bit how we do that, what we look for when we're submitting to a conference. I also want to share that the University of Delaware Women and Gender Studies Department and the Center for the Study and Prevention of Gender-Based Violence is hosting its own conference. So this will be our first conference. We're really excited about this. And it's bringing together policymakers, practitioners, and scholars that are uh, in the realm of gender-based violence, getting them all together and talking about policy solutions and equity. Uh, the conference is called Equitable Approaches, and I will link it in our bio. Uh, we still have submissions open for the next two weeks. So if you are a researcher or interested in these topics, I really recommend checking out our submission links. Uh, but just come and, even if you're not presenting, learn about our approaches to gender-based violence and see what you can learn. So this first clip that I'm going to cue up for you is a little mini-interview, a snack size interview, with one of the organizers of the conference. And I want to apologize in advance. I did not have my full recording apparatus with me in Minnesota, so I did have a handheld recorder. The quality is what the quality is, but the content is really where it's at. So please bear with us for this uh, sound clip. Hello, we are here with the VP of NWSA, Ariella Rotrunnel, uh, they, them, and uh, what are you thinking about lately? Hi folks. Um to start with, I'm thinking about the opening session we had with Anita Hill. Um, she's someone who has inspired my approach to feminism. As a child, I was aware of her testimony before the Senate, and I didn't fully understand the issues at play, but I knew that she was someone who was standing up for her rights and that she wasn't being heard. Um, it was incredibly moving for me to get to see her speak, to see how much grace she has and how thoughtful she is. She's someone in her remarks who is so clearly an intersectional feminist in a way that seems effortless, but obviously is based in all of her years of work. Um, I really just was thrilled to see her in this space and that she's someone who is a practitioner of feminism every day. And another thing that came up during her talk was all of the support that other feminists had provided her in that moment, right? Particularly black feminists coming together to get her back when no one else would. And I think that's a really important thing for us to remember in this moment when some of us are, so many of us are being challenged by the issues in our world. Um, the attacks on reproductive justice from access to even being able to talk about it in our schools, anti-trans efforts, anti-LGBT issues. These are struggles that we always have known will be continuing, but to know that particularly young people are being targeted 
Um, those are the issues that I'm thinking about, and I'm hoping that NWSA is a space where we can come together to talk about and theorize about these issues, but also renew our commitment to fighting for our communities. Thank you so much. And so, listeners, you've already missed this conference, but what can people do next? What's the next thing that people can join or attend uh, or follow for conference updates? So definitely um, follow us on Instagram. You know, for older folks like me, you can also be on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we'll be working throughout the year. Right now we're, we're in election season and recruiting folks to, to lead our organization. Um, but after that, we're going to be doing a lot of work on collecting information and sharing it at, with our chairs and directors of our programs and departments. We're going to be releasing a survey for current um, WGS students and alumni. So if you are someone who has been in this community, please connect with your um, former programs or departments. Um, and we're going to be looking towards next year in Baltimore. You know, it's going to be an exciting year to think about the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade and to really take stock of wins. You know, I think this last week in the election cycle, we both saw some states really owning, right, that reproductive justice and reproductive rights should be fundamental. Um, and we also saw that this is a very divided country and we need to continue thinking about what does democracy look like for us? How do we think about the balance between individual choice and ethics and social responsibility? So we're gonna have a lot of exciting conversations next year and I hope that you all will join us. Thank you so much. And I love this clip for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, you can hear just how vibrant everything is in the background. And God willing, I will have muted that down somewhat. But even in the muted background, you can hear how many people are talking and laughing and joking. So these conferences are a great space to get to know other people, not just in your field, but uh, the National Women's Studies Conference includes people from all over, uh, not just the country, uh, but all over disciplinarily. I spoke with people who worked in art history departments and sociology departments, criminology. It's just such a widespread of passionate people. And on that theme, this next clip is from a graduate student who is studying the arts and culture. Hello, it is Elle, and we are just post one of the keynotes of the opening night. We're at the opening night reception, so if you hear some music, that's what that is. And I am sitting with Haley Alexis, who is a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. They are going to tell us a little bit about their thesis. Uh, yeah, so um, my thesis is focused in the way that um, violence is portrayed in media, specifically intimate partner violence. And uh, one thing that I've been thinking about uh, in relation to that is Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. I've been thinking about the way that violence is portrayed in this piece and how it's been seemingly normalized and even parodied. Uh, I think that a lot of people can easily recall the uh, moment that Stanley chases out Stella, screaming her name, Stella, Stella! And we often see that that's sort of a romantic or comedic moment, but in reality, it's an abusive act that really denotes Stanley's violent character. And I think that the normalization of this moment has sort of led to a normalization of his character as being 
masculine for the time period in which Streetcar was written, but in reality, he's really embodying hegemonic masculinity and abusive tendencies. Well, and I was shocked we were talking about this before we hit record, because my knowledge of Streetcar Named Desire is basically just that parodied moment of a character, you know, sometimes running out into the rain, yelling, you know, Stella, or whatever the name is in the, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like I've seen this in cartoons, but I can't think of a specific cartoon, but it was totally stripped of the context that you shared with me, which is that, um, he's just hit her. Yeah, so she is upstairs, uh, trying to talk to Blanche, her sister, and he's partying with one of his friends, drinking, and she asks him to turn the radio down, and he does not do it. She asks him again. He says that he doesn't really need to listen to her. Uh, at some point, she gets really frustrated and throws his radio out the window, which, granted, maybe she shouldn't have thrown his radio out the window, but maybe he should also respect his wife. Uh, and so, yeah, she runs off stage and he follows her and hits her and she runs downstairs from where their apartment is and he's standing up there screaming for her she doesn't listen so he comes out and starts screaming her name that's a lot um especially because my impression of this play which i'd never seen was so filtered through pop culture and pop culture has totally kind of laundered the reputation of that that scene um, and I think it's, it's so fascinating. I'm excited to see where your thesis takes you. Thanks for chatting. Thank you. Conferences are such an amazing way to find out how other people in the larger sphere of either your field or the topic you're interested in, how they're thinking about these things. I work in the field of, of preventing gender-based violence, but Streetcar Named Desire was not on my radar. So this was such a fabulous conversation. Another wonderful thing about conferences is if you feel somewhat marginalized in your own university because of the subject matter you study, conferences can be a great way to connect with folks who are working on a similar subject. So you may not have colleagues at your institution, but you can find people all over who are studying the things you're interested in. This next clip, I am uh, speaking with an abolitionist scholar who works on the border. I am back at the conference uh, just after lunch, and I'm talking to Dr. Chavez from the University of uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, how are you doing, and what are you thinking about? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm thinking a lot about uh, abolition feminism now uh, from <laughs> the first night of the conference. Uh, I think a lot about abolition and feminism anyway, but uh, I thought that was a really inspiring way to get this conference kicked off. Uh, that evening and thinking about what it means to be back together and really in the political moment we're facing, uh, how we need to be theorizing and thinking abolition. And uh, So yeah, that kind of kicked this whole event off in a good way for me. But, uh, Great. Thanks so much. And what kind of work do you do outside of the conference? Uh, sure. So I mean, I teach in Mexican-American and Latino-Latino studies and uh, gender studies. So I finished a book uh, that came out last year on uh, AIDS and immigration and citizenship, and so still kind of thinking about those issues. All right, sounds great. Where can people find your book? Well, the University of Washington Press. Uh, it's called The Borders of AIDS, Race, Quarantine, and Resistance. Awesome, thank you. If you're an early career scholar or maybe a student, maybe I've sold you that conferences are a great thing to attend, but you don't know how to find a conference or 
which ones will be most beneficial to you or what to do once you get there. So in our lab, we look at conferences that are working in our larger field or are tied to the journals that we read and use on a regular basis. There are national conferences like the American Sociological Association, uh, which is going to be in Philadelphia this year. So the National Women's Studies Conference is going to be in Baltimore. We have kind of an East Coast tour going on with all of these great regional conferences or national conferences in the region. But you can find regional conferences. So for instance, uh, if you publish in a specific journal, you may find that they are attached to a specific conference. Gender and Society and Sociology hosts or is affiliated with the Society for Women in Sociology. So they host a conference, uh, I believe, twice a year. You can look at your special interest areas to see if there's a national group for it. Uh, you can ask your professors what kinds of affiliations they have and what conferences they recommend. I've gone to some interdisciplinary conferences based on subject matter. So I got my start in my master's studying intercountry adoption, and I was looking at it from the perspective of a sociologist thinking about kind of global inequalities. But I attended a conference in Florida that was specific to adoption. So it wasn't just about the social science or demographic trends in adoption. It was a more holistic view of the entire, the entire practice of adoption. So it was very interdisciplinary. There are all kinds of ways you can get involved at conferences. You can present papers, pitch workshops, Poster sessions are often a great way for students to, to get their work out there. And if you're a student at UD and you're interested in some of these conferences that are going to be so close, right, Philadelphia, Baltimore, you can look to see if there are any volunteer opportunities. Sometimes students are let in at a discounted price. And in addition to that discount, you can also find option, opportunities to work the conference uh, in some variety of positions, so that way you can get into the sessions and check things out, and you can get to know the organizers of the conference. My top tips for presenters, if you've submitted a paper, if you've submitted a workshop idea, if you're traveling for a conference, if you are working at a roundtable, so roundtables are typically less formal than a formal presentation. They typically don't have PowerPoint capabilities. I recommend having handouts, maybe just a one-sheet uh, explainer using any of the models you might have in the paper you're discussing. If you are accepted into a full panel discussion, uh, that's really exciting. Congratulations. But one of the things I try to think about before presenting and what we talked about in our research lab is think about what your goals are with the presentation. Are you trying to get your work out there just to be seen by other scholars? Is there a particular piece of the paper that you're hoping to get advice and feedback from from a group of people interested in the subject matter? Or maybe you are stuck at a point or you have specific questions. Gear your presentations to, to focus on those issues that you want feedback on. I think sometimes early new stage scholars are so focused on wanting to do a good job on presenting the paper that they forget that this is a time that you can be selfish, right? You've got a room full of people who are interested in the things you are interested in, and they can give you that feedback you want or you need. And so sometimes I think we get nervous when folks ask questions about our presentation, but that's such an amazing place to strengthen your work 
And so I try to think of it as an opportunity to be selfish and get lots of good feedback. When you are asked questions, I think that can be a time people get very anxious. I recommend just taking a breath, pausing, think about your answer. Uh, It is totally okay to take a beat, process the question, repeat the question back. Uh, This is the advice that my mentors gave me when I was presenting, and I find it really helpful. And I think it's also completely okay to say, you know, that question is a fascinating question. It's beyond the scope of this project. But off the top of my head, here is what I think. Uh, That is another beautiful piece of advice I got from my dissertation advisor. I also recommend checking out who's going to be at the conference, who are the keynotes. Uh, One of my very nerdy habits is if I know the keynote and I have their book, I bring the book with me to the conference and I will ask them to sign it. Uh, One, because I have a little collection, but two, because I would be very intimidated to talk to a keynote speaker otherwise. And so this gives me an opening to say, hey, I really love your work. I would love it if you signed your book. And you can do that with non-keynote speakers as well. If there is a, a researcher in your field that you really want to be able to talk to and maybe you don't have anyone in your network that can help you meet them, uh, you can't get that kind of mutual introduction Having their book is a great icebreaker because they know that you know their work and if they're, um, you know, if they're a friendly uh, scholar, they they may ask you follow-up questions. And if they're a little standoffish, you at least won't, won't offend them by approaching them because you are flattering them with their book. So that's sort of one of my life hacks for if you are a nerdy scholar and you own a lot of books. I would also recommend um, talking to other grad students if you're a grad student, particularly if the grad student's working with someone you really admire. Maybe you don't have their book and you are too intimidated or they're too busy to talk with you or meet with you. Talking to their students is a great way to get a sense of maybe what they're working on or how they're thinking. And maybe later on that grad student can help introduce you. But it's a great way to, I love conferences. I always feel really energized. I know that's not everyone's take on conferences, but I love networking. I love meeting people who are working on things totally outside my sphere because when else would I get to learn about this, these kinds of projects? Uh, So if you're interested in conferences and you are thinking about which one would be a great fit for you, if you're listening to this podcast, it sounds like you are interested in gender-based violence and violence prevention. So it sounds like Equitable Approaches, uh, the conference we are hosting, which has submissions open until May 15th. The conference is September 28th and 29th. It's just a short two days in the lovely state of Delaware. Definitely check it out, look at our website, see where maybe your work or advocacy or activism could fit in, or just think about attending as a regular member. We hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. A special thanks to Manelli Marcelino for the intro and outro music on this podcast, and a special thank you to the University of Delaware's Center for the Study and Prevention of Gender-Based Violence.